Good morning, everyone. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. That's the passage we're going to be studying this morning. Let's pray before we begin. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are constantly humbled by your greatness and your mercy and your love. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And as we look into this, Lord, uh, just give us wisdom. Um, help us to learn from your word. Help us to figure out ways to apply this in our own lives, Lord, that we can grow nearer to you and walk nearer to you in our day-to-day -day life, Lord. Just come and be with us now and witness to us, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Philippians 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through roughly 11. Um, this is something that I've been studying out for a while, and um, it's really convicted me, and that is the level of servanthood that we are called to um, live up to, basically. Um, so this is going to be somewhat hard lessons to hear, but I think it's, I think it's edifying for everyone to hear every now and then. Um, so let's read our text here, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what I want to look at here is biblical servanthood. Um, and that's going to seem, it shouldn't seem foreign to us because we've been taught about it many times, but it's something that I feel we need to be refreshed on from time to time. Now, to the world, this does seem very strange. This seems almost crazy, um, and it seems backwards compared to what the world teaches people. Um, so let me kind of illustrate this for you from the world's perspective. So imagine you live next door to a family, and they have a young boy. Uh, this boy's teenage age, uh, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. Um, he's like your typical, you know, worldly teenager. He is pretty selfish, very disrespectful. Um, he's kind of into himself, antisocial at the same time, constantly glued to his cell phone. Um, sometimes you'll see him making strange convulsion movements in front of his phone that you kind of think is modern dancing. Um, I'm sure you all have a boy or a child that comes to mind when you hear that description. Um, this could be a boy that you, you knew from childhood. He was a little from, you know, you, the parents moved there before he was even born. You've known him his whole life. Uh, he doesn't really talk to you. You've never really had a conversation with him. Um, it's pretty rare that you actually even get a wave if you're driving down the road and make eye contact with him. So, um, Let's just say there's not much of a relationship there. Now, imagine it's fall time. Uh, the leaves are starting to change. The weather is getting colder. It's beautiful out. You know, the colors are amazing. Um, and then all of a sudden comes that day that I like to call the big fall. When the day before, it's nice and beautiful. 
the leaves are starting to fall, there's a little sprinkling on your yard, and then you wake up the next day, and the leaves are bare, or the trees are bare, and there's 12-inch blanket of leaves over your whole lawn. And it just puts a damper on your day. Maybe it's a Friday, you're heading to work, and you're thinking, man, I gotta spend all day tomorrow raking and bagging leaves and hauling them out of here. So you're th it's just consuming your thoughts all day at work. You're, you know, your buddies are asking, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I gotta haul leaves. They all came down last night in that storm. And so the whole, the whole day is kind of ruined. You're on your way home, just frustrated about it. And you come around the bend onto your road, and lo and behold, that neighbor boy is in your yard raking leaves. And you're kind of in shock. You, you thought maybe you're looking at the wrong side of the road, but you're so confused that you blow right by your house, and you have to turn around your neighbor's driveway and come back to your house. You pull in the driveway, and you get out, and he says, hey, Mr. Johnson, how's it going? How was work today? And you're you're kind of, you know, once the initial shock wears off, you say, good, uh, what are you doing? Well, I just seen your leaves needed rake, so I figured I'd come over and help you out. And um, once, the, once the shock wears off, you're like, well, let me run in the house and get, get some money to pay you. I don't have any cash on me. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm just, I just wanted to help you out. You know, it's just me trying to be nice. And um, so that's, doesn't that seem like crazy and backwards? Like what kind of kid would ever do that? You know, but that's the kind of servant attitude that we're supposed to have towards each other. Um, it's supposed to almost seem outlandish. So um, the other passage we're going to look at today is going to be Matthew chapter 22. So why don't we turn there. Um, this is a very familiar passage because we recently studied through Matthew in our uh, Sunday morning services here. Uh, we're going to be reading verse 34 is where we're going to start. But the context of this chapter is Jesus gave the parable of the wedding feast. Um, and then he's asked about paying taxes to Caesar. And then the Sadducees ask him a question about, is there marriage in heaven? And um, as he, once he deals with that question, the Pharisees think they'll give it a go and try to stump him with their own question. So this is, what, this is what they ask, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you see, this, this was kind of a loaded question. He knew the answer that he was searching for, and he was going to kind of see where Jesus stood on this matter um, because, you see, the Jews at this time, they had 613 laws that they all followed. Uh, well, they, they were supposed to follow. That's how many laws were in the Torah. Um, every good Jewish person would have, would have been able to tell you that. If you would have just said, hey, what's 613? They would have been like, oh, well, that's the laws of Moses, you know. So, um, but what Jesus is trying to tell them is all of these laws can be summed up by just these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Um, but first and foremost, we are to love the Lord. Now, we've done, we just finished up a four-week Sunday school on, on this, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But very briefly, how are we to love the Lord? How are we to show God our love? Um, God has given us so much. Even if you're an unbeliever, God has blessed you with so many things, even if you don't recognize it and if you're not thankful for it. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. He gives you health. He gives you prosperity. He gives you so many different blessings. But to the believer, he's given a special gift of his son. He sent his only son to die for you and to give his life for you. And there's nothing we can do to, give him, to pay him back for that. We'll never be able to pay him back. Um, so the very least thing that we can do is to devote our lives to serving him. Because um, that's the one thing we can do. Um, we can follow his commandments. And a big part of serving him is loving our fellow man. And that's what Jesus is touching on here. Um, you see, the, the two commandments kind of go hand in hand. In order to sh love the Lord your God, love your fellow man. One helps the other one out, basically. Now... Of course, it's one thing to know that this is what we're supposed to do, but it's a completely different thing to actually do it. And that's where a lot of us struggle, myself included. Um, you may not even know what it looks like. Um, 
what does this look like to serve your fellow man? You know, what does this look like to show, to serve God? You know, um, and God knew that we would struggle with this. So what did he do? He sent us an example. He sent us the perfect example of how to do this. He sent his only son, the one who had been with him forever. Um, This son came and took on a human body so that he could resonate with us as humans. He was able to experience our struggles, our temptations. And throughout that whole process, he modeled for us how we're supposed to love each other and how we're supposed to love God. (laughs) So I think the best place to start when we're trying to figure out how are we to serve each other is let's look at Christ's life and see how he served other people. Now, before we do that, I think we need to go back even further because in order to fully grasp the intensity of the level of servanthood that God is calling us to achieve, we have to understand where Jesus came from, what he actually gave up to come to this world and live as a servant. You see, Jesus was, is, and always will be God. He was God when he came to earth. He was God in creation. Um, Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. John uses the term the Word for Jesus because Jesus was, in a way, God's spoken Word on earth. God sent his Word to the earth to proclaim his Word to his people. So we could, we could switch out Jesus in that by saying in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus has always been there. Jesus played actually a very important part in creation. Go to the next one. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So you see, Jesus and God, the whole Trinity we see working in union throughout all of creation. He's always, they've always been together. They've always had this unique, this unique relationship, and they've always been one but three separate natures. Um. Let's look now at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Here's another look at it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have the preeminence. So you see, everything that was created wasn't only created by Jesus, it was created for Jesus. God was creating this whole universe for his son. He was going to be the inherit, he was going to inherit it all, he was going to be... um, the ruler of it all. He was going to have preeminence, dominion over it all. And according to Colossians 1, that includes all of us. As saints, we were given to God as a, or given to Jesus as a, as part of his uh, dominion, basically. Um, He was also the prince of heaven. He sat on the throne and billions of angels were constantly waiting his every command they were they whatever he said they would act all of heaven was in constant praise of jesus every saint who had died from the beginning of creation till jesus's ascension was there singing praise to him every day i mean we've been studying revelation and that's like the major theme every time you see heaven there's praise and worship going on praise toward god praise towards the lamb Um, and jesus was in the midst of all of this until one day Imagine the shock of when he stood up and took off his crown, like Frank was praying, and set it on his throne. He took his scepter in his hand and set it down. And then he took off his royal robe and put on the robe of a slave. He put on a slave's tunic. All, that would have been, you could have heard a pin drop in heaven at that moment. Everyone would have been confused, except for the, you know, the father and the son. 
And he descends to this earth to live amongst us, this world full of selfish anger, hatred. He chose to come down and live amongst us worms to show us what it truly means to love God and to love each other. So let's look now at our text, Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That means he didn't consider his equality of God something to hold on to. That he was God. He had the right to do whatever he wanted. He had dominion over this whole land. Yet he chose to give that up, to come down and to live amongst us, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So this is something that we always have to keep in mind when we look at this is, you know, Jesus, even though he came to earth and took on the body of a man, he was still 100% fully God. There's a lot of... Some people, some people struggle with this, and they don't quite understand this, and they, they, they want to view Jesus as just a man who was kind of a good prophet, and they, they, they dismiss the whole fact that he was God. God and man completely living in harmony together, both natures there, present all the time. And that's what makes his suffering and service all the more incredible. The fact that he could have at any minute said, enough is enough, and called down legions of angels to come and destroy these wicked humans. But he never did that. You can imagine the whole time he was on earth, legions and legions of massive angels just watching his every move, hands on their sword, hungry to come down and avenge their prince when he was laughed at and ridiculed at, but he never gave the order. Um, you remember the time when Jesus goes to preach in Nazareth, his hometown, and they run him out of town. There's an angry mob leading him out of town. They're ready to throw him off a mountain. Could you imagine what heaven looked like at that moment? They would have all been hands on their sword, just watching Jesus' eyes. Just, all he would have had to do is look up and give them the look, and they would have come down and killed all those people. And they would have considered it a highest honor to come down and avenge their prince. But that order never went out. It never came. All of Jesus' life, he loved mankind. So much that he endured all that suffering and ridicule and mockery, knowing very well that he could end it at any time. But he didn't. What did he do instead? He forgave. He turned the other cheek. He continued to love and to serve. He continued to choose to wear that slave's tunic. And he did it all for us to show us how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to treat each other and how we're supposed to take on that same tunic. He certainly didn't live as the one who the people of the time thought he was going to be, as the one who had dominion over the whole world, even though he truly did. During Jesus' life, he never took off that tunic. He spent every ounce of his energy serving people. He would teach and preach for hours and hours trying to explain to people what God was really about, what he really wanted from us, and showing them the level of love that he has for us. He would spend his days caring for the sick, helping the needy, uplifting the discouraged and the downcast, teaching the world crazy things like it's more blessed to give than to receive, um, that God's own son did not come to this earth to, to be served but to serve, teaching them whoever desires to be great among you and whoever desires to be first, let him be as a slave to everyone else. These are crazy things, really, when you think about it from a world's aspect. Jesus healed thousands and thousands of people. Some days he would spend all day healing people. And knowing what we know about Jesus, I don't imagine that, that was just a line up, get a healing touch and be on your way type healing. I think Jesus would have entered into these people's lives. He would have shared with them their stories. He would have agonized with them. He would have sympathized with them. They may have told him the whole reason about how they got injured and all this, and he would have been there 
you know, listening and learning and teaching them, you know, and giving them many lessons before he healed them and then sent them on their way. Um, if you've ever either ministered to someone or even just sat and listened to someone vent about something or unload a burden upon you, that's hard on your own body. That's hard on yourself because you take, you take on their burden. You know, you, you sympathize with them. You agonize with them. And um, at the end of the day, you're so emotionally bound up with that person that you feel like you're going through the same situation with them. And I, 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 I know Jesus probably felt that same way about every single person. So could you imagine a whole day of that? At the end of the day, he would lay down exhausted, but he did it because that was the will of the Father. Um, and that's, that's how we're supposed to be with other people as well. You know, Jesus would, he would wake up in the morning, and there'd be a crowd of people waiting for him. And he would go to sleep at night, and there would still be a crowd of people because he could never get to everyone. But he did that day in and day out because he was trying to show us something, um, that this is what God wants us to do with our lives. He wants us to be, to be others-oriented, not self-oriented. There were multiple times when people would come to Jesus requesting him to heal their loved one who could be miles away, and he dropped what he was doing and went to go do it. Now, that whole situation was probably in his plan from the get-go. But to us, he was trying to teach us, like, hey, your plans don't necessarily trump what someone else's need is. Sometimes you need to drop what you're doing and go help someone. So we see Jesus' love toward people was immense, and the bar is high. Okay, we're gonna, I'm probably going to say that a million times today, but the bar is high. But I want to give you hope that this is something we can all, you know, we'll never achieve perfection, but it's something that we all should be working on because we live in such a society where this is so backwards and crazy, like I've been saying, but it's, it's, it's what we need to do. Um, Jesus wanted to show us that you could be the most important person in the world, which he was, and we're still called to take off our robes of money, status, fame, popularity, and put on the tunic of the slave, just like he did. So let's look at our text again. Let's look at verse 3 now. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, these are the type of people we're called to be, people who serve others, people who always have their eyes open for people in need and who can find a way to help that need. We aren't to do this for recognition because what the fellow man thinks about us, that doesn't matter. We do it out of appreciation for what God did for us. We do it for recognition from him, and it's, it's just out of thanksgiving for what he's done for us. You know, God sent his own son to pay for our salvation, and it's the least we can do. So I hate to break it to you all, but you're not who you think you are. If you're saved and you're a believer, you're no longer a doctor or an electrician or a mechanic or a nurse or a shop supervisor or a mill worker. No, you traded in those robes for a slave's tunic when you f chose to follow Christ. The real question is this, though. Are we living our lives as a servant, or are we still holding on to ourself and unknowingly still serving that master? You see, that's where we all were. We were slaves to the self. As I was preparing this sermon, I was, my wife one evening asked me, so what are you preaching on? What, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what are some of your main points? And as I was explaining to her, she was like, oh, good, you're going to be preaching against the self-love movement. And I stopped, and I'm like, what is the self-love movement? And she explained to me, like, oh, yeah, people on social media now, they take pictures of themselves doing something for themselves, and they tag themselves with the hashtag self-love. And I'm like, at first I chuckled. I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. Of course America has a self-love movement. But then it, that instantly turned to sorrow and pity. And I think that's something, it, this little extra credit, that, like, that convicted me of something. I feel like we are losing the shock of how sad it is when our culture takes one step further towards evilness and away from godliness. You know, it's always, it seems like every week there's some new thing that comes up that's like, 
You know, just it seems like the culture is moving one step further and one step further and one step further. And it's sad. And I feel like we get almost numb to it to where we're like, well, well we all saw that coming. You know, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't accept that mentality. I feel like it, we shouldn't be angry, but we should be sorrowful. You know, it should, it, should, it should drive us to have pity for this culture to where we're constantly in prayer for them. And, um, yeah, just praying that God will change their hearts and have mercy on them and call these people to repentance. Um, and self-love is just another one of those steps that, I, like I said, I found myself chuckling about, but then at the same time, that quickly turned to sorrow and uh, just, just sadness and having pity on this culture because they're so enslaved to the God called self. And the sad part is that self is such a cruel master. Um, I'm sure none of us are really quite as enslaved as the majority of the culture is, but there's always, we all still have remnants of this still in our lives. Um, something, you know, something will come along and you'll hear there's old master self telling me to be selfish about this or take my, put my needs before everyone else's, you know, and we just need to be careful of that. Um, I can illustrate this for you. After the Civil War, a lot of times it was common for, say, a freed slave to be walking through town and see his old slave master, you know, maybe coming out of a store with a bunch of boxes, and he'll say, hey, boy, come carry these boxes for me, and the slave will jump too and go do that, and then he stops himself and says, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. I'm a freed man now. This guy doesn't tell me what to do anymore, and that's how we need to be. We need to be be aware that we were all once slaves to ourselves, and God has freed us from that. So when you feel like, and you hear that call again, like, oh, self-love, just ignore it. Pray to God for strength to, to defeat that. Excuse me. So we as humans are all created to serve God. It's as a way in our DNA. It's, it's, in, our, it's, in, our, it's in our being. As image bearers of God, we are created to serve God. And if a person is not serving God, then they will indefinitely try to fill that void with something else, by serving something else. Now, people try to fill that void with all kinds of things, um, you know, money, pleasures, success. Um, but in particular, I want to focus on the one that is the self. Um, serving the self will never satisfy that hunger. You... It'll, it'll never bring the level of satisfaction that you're looking for. Only God can do that. Only serving God can do that. Um, you can achieve great things by serving the self, according to, you know, worldly standards. You can, you know, you may finally get the promotion you waited for, or worked so hard for, finally get the raise you've been hoping for. You know, you may finally get recognition from your boss. But it, it'll never be enough. You'll never be satisfied. You'll always be hungering for the next thing and the next thing the next thing. It's just not possible to fill the void that God can fill with status or possessions or money or really anything other than God. You'll just constantly be hungering for the next thing. You see, another thing we're all created with, I think, is this hunger for satisfaction. We love to be satisfied in every way possible, and we try to get it. And sadly, there's no level of worldly possessions that will satisfy that hunger. There's no level of worldly status you can achieve that will fill that void because that void was designed, like I said, to be filled with only one thing, and that's God and service to him. So you see, it's like having a puzzle, and it's missing one piece. And you could have a whole box full of the wrong pieces, but none of them will fit until you find that one piece that will fit, and the puzzle's complete. And wasn't that like give you the greatest sense of satisfaction when you finally complete a puzzle. Um, if anyone else is into puzzles, they would get that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's what Jesus is trying to teach here. He's trying to teach them, you know, this is the way to be joyful. This is the way to find that satisfaction that we're all hungering for. Um, turn with me now to John. Actually, is John 15 on there? Okay, let's look at John chapter 15, verse 11 through 13. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. 
as I have also loved you, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Go back one slide, if you will. So see, what Jesus is saying here is he wants his joy to be in us, the joy that he feels, he longs that we would have that joy in our own hearts. And that's what he's trying to explain is this is how you get that. Um, yeah, go forward one more. Yeah. Um, the way to, the, so the way to, to get that joy is by serving God, keeping the commandments, and loving one another. And you will gain, your, your life will be filled with joy. So in a, in a world that's so void of joy, that should be just like one of our main drives is, man, I want that joy in my life, you know? And if you live out that joy in your life, if you're a person that's just joyful, you'll draw so many people to you, you know, and you may lead others to Christ just by being that way. But then Jesus goes on to say oh, this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So now Jesus was no doubt talking about himself here and the sacrifice that he was going to make. However, I feel like this can be applied to our lives. Now, we may not be called to lay down our li physical lives for someone else, but we certainly could be called to lay down our figurative lives for other people. Like, think of the mother who could have had a successful career, but she gave that up to raise children and be a homemaker. You know, think of the man who was offered a big promotion, and he turned it down because it would have meant working more and not having the time to spend with his wife and kids. Or on the other hand, think of the man who chooses to take a pay cut and switch to a, a less attractive shift in order to spend more time at home to help raise his kids and be with his wife and have open up more opportunities to serve Christ in the kingdom. You see, so there's ways that we can lay down our figurative lives in order to serve others and bring glory to God. So you see, as we as we work to remove this selfish ambition that Paul's talking about from our lives, we'll move closer and closer to godliness. Um, let's look back at the text here, Philippians 2. In verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So you see, this is something different here, too. Paul's saying we need to hold others' needs higher than our own. You know, and there's, some people will say, well, that's just Paul, you know, and Jesus taught, love your neighbors yourself. So as long as I'm loving other people the same level I love myself, I'm good, you know, but not really, because Jesus taught the same thing. You know, let's look at um, Matthew chapter 20. If you turn there with me, please. Paul wasn't teaching something that Jesus didn't already teach himself. This is also a familiar passage because we recently studied this as well. We're going to be looking at verse 24, but um, I'll give you a little bit of context here. This is where James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, could my son sit on your left and your right? Basically, she's saying, can my sons have the two highest seats of honor in heaven when you do come? And Jesus says, Woman, I know your heart's in the right place, but you have no idea what you're asking me. First off, they can't take what I, the cup that I'm going to take, but also that seat's not really for me to for me to you know for me to assign. But I, I feel like he was about to launch into a, a greatness lesson with her, but the disciples kind of ruined that for him because they overheard what was happening and they all got really heated at James and John because they're like, "Oh, hey, who are you to be sitting here?" You know. I've healed people, too. I went on a mission and cast out demons. You know, like, I'm better than, you know, who are you to say you're better than us? So Jesus gets himself, he, he just probably slaps his head and said, all right, everyone come here. Everyone sit down. We're going to talk about greatness here. So look at verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. 
So he says, you guys aren't getting it at all. In my kingdom, the greatest person isn't the one who holds the best seat and who's waited upon hand and foot. The greatest one is the one that's doing the serving. That's what true greatness looks like. So you see, Paul wasn't teaching something that Jesus wasn't already teaching. Paul wasn't... Um, Paul goes beyond loving your neighbor as yourself because Jesus had already done that. Jesus could have said, you know, the Son of Man came to be a neighbor to all. But no, he said the Son of Man came to be a servant of all. So, and servants don't view themselves as equals with their masters, as a neighbor would to a neighbor. So it's more than just loving your, loving your neighbor as yourself. It's loving your neighbor greater than yourself. It's putting... It's esteeming the needs of others as being greater than your own needs. Um, and that's where I feel like we sometimes fail to see how high that bar is actually set. So, but if you pause and you look at this form of love that we're to have for each other, it's really beautiful. Um, it, it, you know, the way that the kingdom of God is set up, how the greatest people are the servants, how the first shall be last. Um, it really is beautiful. It's um, like how a kind, tender-hearted person who looks out for the needs of others is the one who is looked at as a great person. Not, it doesn't matter who's popular, who's in charge, who has the most money. I believe, honestly, even the average atheist would agree that, that would be, that's a beautiful design for a society, would be each other serving each other and um, living in harmony that way. And I feel like also our, we as a people, human beings, are drawn towards that style of living. Because isn't it interesting how everyone loves a good underdog story? How we kind of resonate with the underdogs and Hollywood produces movie after movie of underdogs, the unpopular people, rising to triumph, you know, and it's, it's funny that how we're drawn to that kind of, that kind of scenario because we do resonate with the underdogs because I feel like God put that in our hearts um, and made us to, to kind of be that way because we are to be the servants. We're to be the, we're to be the ones that, um, you know, that society doesn't hold as greats. But, of course, in reality, um, you know, the so-called elites of our society say that underdogs are worthless. Uh, these people are looked down upon. Uh, their opinions really don't matter. They say that um, we should all be striving to be rich, uh, successful, popular. We should, be, we should try to be influencers. We should strive to have as many likes on our Facebook page and followers on our Twitters and Instagrams. And it's all about you and your happiness and your success. And everyone else is second. But then in actual reality, Jesus looks upon that stuff as utter foolishness. He looks upon that striving after the world's idea of greatness as a life completely wasted. Instead, what does catch Jesus' attention is when someone hears of another person being sick and they make them a meal and they take it to their house and drop it off and no one hears about it. No one knows about it. They weren't asked to do it. They did it because they cared about their other human being. You can imagine... Jesus looking down upon that and looking at the fellow glorified saints and saying, see that down there? That's true greatness. Or when someone hears their friend's car making a strange noise the one day and they know from that noise what's probably the problem, they also know that friend is not very mechanically inclined. So the next day, they take a vacation day from work, gather up their tools, go to that friend's house, help him fix his vehicle, and... Doesn't, never tells anyone about it. No one else knows about it. And Jesus looks upon that and says, that's true greatness. Or when a sleep-deprived mother is up for the third time in a night trying to soothe her teething baby. You know, she has a college degree. She was on the right track, heading down the road to success. But no, she could have been successful right now. No kids, getting a good night's sleep. But no, she gave that up. She gave that up to take on the high calling of raising image bearers of God. So she sits in that rocking chair at 3 a.m., holding that whimpering baby, her shirt's covered in drool, praying for strength, without a bitter thought in her mind, and Jesus looks down upon her and says, see that, see that right there? That's true greatness. So you see, friends, this is where we need to completely change our 
our, our mindset of thinking. We need to really look hard at our own lives and ask ourselves the hard questions of, am I doing everything I can to serve my neighbor? And ultimately, by doing so, serving God. Am I using the gifts I was given to serve this body of believers that God put me in? You see, I feel like we all need to be constantly doing a self-evaluation and refocusing our sights on ourselves and see, am I doing everything I should be doing? You see, as a Christian in a body of believers, we're referred to as multiple members of one body. And a church being like a human body is a perfect illustration because it just makes sense. Bodies have many members, fingers, hands, ears, eyes, organs, and each one has its own unique role. And without that member fulfilling its role, the whole body suffers. Let's turn with me real quick to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to keep your Bible busy today. Starting in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So you see, we're each given a unique part. We're each given our own specific, unique set of gifts. And together, we make up the body known as crossroads. And so we need to be looking at ourselves and saying, am I using these gifts? God's given me this unique set of things that I can do. And just because you don't do this, but you can do something else, doesn't mean that you're not as equally important as another person is. Does that make sense? See, if one person is not doing their role, the whole body suffers. Um, you're not only... You know, you're, in a sense, you're robbing your brothers and sisters of your contribution. You know, imagine, for, 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 for instance, if, if one day all of a sudden your hand just decided it wasn't going to work, it wasn't going to contribute to your body's functions whatsoever. Wouldn't that be a hard day? You'd have such a hard time getting just basic tasks done. Um, and that's something that I, it's, it's one of the things that I, that I like I said, became painfully convicted of as I was studying through this passage is um, I'm not even coming close to the standard of servanthood that Jesus was talking about here. You know, Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. I don't do that every day. You know, he said, now this was pretty specific, but he said, sell all you have and come and follow me. But he was explaining, forget the stuff you have. None of that's important. Spend your time following me. Don't strive after your own greatness, and your own success. You see, he said, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And I think the, the, slave, the slave of that day was different than the slave that we may have in mind. But the slave that day was more like a, bond, a servant. That's why a bond servant would be another um, translation of that. Now, a typical day in the life of this type of slave would have been, say, for instance, your master wakes up at 6 o'clock, so you're, you're getting up at 3 o'clock. you got a little bit of time to take care of yourself, spend a couple hours preparing the home for your master to awake. Once he awakes, you're spending all day waiting on him, hand and foot. Whatever he needs, you got it. Until he finally goes to bed at night, and then you can finally go to sleep, and then you wake up the next day and do the same thing, and the next day, and the next day, every day, all day long, all year long. And that's the kind of life Jesus is calling us to live. Our whole day should be spent in service to him and service to our fellow man. Now, of course, that means going to work and making a living. I'm not saying that we all need to join a monastery or something like that, but um, you can still serve God while you're at your job and while you're doing your daily work. Um, so, for instance, you know, the idea is just while you're doing your daily life, you're being others-oriented, not myself-oriented. Um, 
you know, remember our text, but in, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others greater than himself. That means go out of your way to help your workmate if they need it, even if that means you'd have to stay late to finish up your own work. You know, it means giving, a va- giving up a vacation day to stay home and take care of your wife and kids if they're sick. Um, it means when, when you get off work and you're exhausted, your feet hurt, your back hurt, your hands hurt, you get home and you, you put on an apron and help your wife do dishes and get a meal together and put the kids to bed. Um, it's, it's putting someone else's needs before your own. You know what I mean? Um, it means giving up your plans for your day off to go help a friend in need. It's, it's simple things like that, that which we, in which we can show our thankfulness to God by being servants. And truth be told, servanthood is supposed to be a full-time job. You know, we all have, truthfully, if you're of working age, you all have two full-time jobs. You have your earthly calling and you have your heavenly calling. But don't get too tied up in your earthly calling that you neglect the duties of your heavenly calling. You know, don't ever get too busy with the things of this earth to neglect helping other people whenever an opportunity arises. But then we also, as being a body of believers, have a calling to our brothers and sisters here. You see, as, as believers, we are to be members of a church. And it just so happens, if you're a member of this church, this is that church. We're to be connected to this body and using our unique gifts to help the whole body. God has given you, every single person, unique gifts that maybe he didn't give to other people. And it doesn't matter how significant or insignificant they are. They're all furthering the kingdom. So you see, by furthering, you know, by helping each other here in the big picture, we're helping each other out there. We're helping people out there. We're reaching, we're reaching our community. We're reaching the lost. So that's why it's, it's such a harmful thing when you choose to not be an active part of the body because you're not only robbing your brothers and sisters of your gifts, but you may be hindering the spreading of the gospel to the community at large. So, you see, these are some hard truths that we have to face, but they are true. And if we're going to be faithful to God, we have to accept that. You know, the, true, the truth is, the Christian life is not about going to church on Sundays, and that's it. It's not. It really isn't. It's way more than that. It's a being, about being an active member of that body. Imagine now, rather than the hand choosing to take a day off, the hand only works one day a week. How debilitating would that be? You wouldn't be able to get anything done. It would, just, it would be such a hindrance. So you see, that's what happens when... You know, you choose to not be active in the body. The body can do great things with everyone, you know, working together. But there's even a more dangerous position that I'm afraid that some have fallen into. And that's choosing to regularly stay home and watch church online rather than come and work with us and be with us. And I... I have to say this out of love and concern in my own heart, but, you know, having a live stream is very advantageous. There's some people that are physically unable to make it to church, and what a blessing it is to be able to turn on your TV and watch, and you kind of get a taste for it, you know. Even if you're, you're, say, you're sick or you're out of town traveling, you know, what a blessing it is to be able to tune in and see your church family there and you almost feel this longing to be there, like you're missing out, you know. And that's, that's the way it should be. And if that feeling doesn't come up, then that should be a sense of warning towards you. Um, I want to tell you, you could be in a very dangerous place. You know, it's almost, now think of whether, now, now think of the situation where the hand actually was completely cut off. And you no longer have that hand on your body. That's what it's like when you choose to just separate yourself from the body. Not only will the body struggle, but that hand laying on the ground over there certainly is going to have trouble thriving. So I just want to warn people that this this is a very dangerous situation that you're getting into. So the rest of us here, it's honestly almost as if you died from COVID. You know, we'll be talking about, hey, have you seen so-and-so? No, I haven't really seen them. Actually, yeah, COVID came around, and they kind of disappeared, and 
Haven't heard from them since. I guess, I think they still watch the live stream. You know, it's literally like they're gone, you know, and it's sad. So I don't want to say this to get down on anyone. This is coming from a place of deep love and concern because I, I, just, don't, I just don't want people to, I don't want people to just take this stuff lightly. See, um, you're in a very dangerous situation. If you've, if you've made live stream a crutch where you choose to not come and be an active part of the body, then the devil has you in a very dangerous situation. Um, he's, already got, he's already convinced you to give up on body life. And the next step he's going to push you for is to give up on church altogether. And when you do that, you're just going to feel empty inside. So the body is missing you. Come back. Become a functioning part of us. Help us help everyone else out in this world, in this community. Now, let me take a drink here. On a happier note, this church is full of servants. And I want to really commend you guys because... You really do serve. As a pastor here and an elder, I have to say it makes my heart burst with joy when I show up on a work day and the parking lot's full of cars. And it is, because that just shows spiritual maturity. I mean, I walk around here and I just, I feel like, you know, my heart's just bursting. Oh, you're here. I'm so glad to see you. And I'm, I mean, it, it just makes me so happy. But could you imagine how happy it makes God, your Heavenly Father, when He sees that you've given up your one day off that week to come and help someone else out. You know, he, he, that, that's what we do this for. We don't do it for recognition from each other. You know, it's all about service to Jesus. And it's a small token that we can give for what he's truly given for us. So just constantly remember that every time, you know, Jesus sees everything. God sees everything. And he's smiling down on you. And that should be your drive and your motivation. Um, and I know it's exhausting. I know it's discouraging. And sometimes it seems like you're the only one that does anything around here. But keep fighting. Keep working. Keep serving. Because your Heavenly Father sees every single thing. He knows your heart. He knows where your desires are. And our rest is coming. We are going to have a forever rest at the end of this short life of being a servant. So keep pressing on. Um, the old saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, that should really be our motto, you know. Now's the time to work. Now's the time to serve. When we're dead, we can rest. You know, wouldn't that be such a... We, we, we can all look forward to that day when we're finally called home and you see your Jesus and you finally hear those words of, well done, good and faithful servant. Because at that point, your fight's over, you know. You're, 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 you've, you've punched out of the clock. The pain and frustrations of this miserable world are over. He welcomes you, says, come see the land which I prepared for you. So I hope this was encouraging, and I want to leave you with a couple words. By God's grace, may we have the strength to continue on steadfastly. May he help us persevere and carry on without wavering or wandering until the glorious day comes for each of us all as well. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we really love you. We just want to serve. We just want to be faithful to you. It's so humbling when we look at what you've done for us, what you saved us from, the type of life you brought us out of, the type of life you brought us into, the fact that you gave your only son as a sacrifice to pay for our salvation, Lord. What mercy and what grace, Father. Our lives of service is just the least we could do, Father, and just... Just please embolden us. Please help us. Give us strength. Um, encourage us, Lord. Keep us working hard because all we want to do is serve you, Father. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.